Dear listener, thanks for tuning in. We do this for a sense of community and in the belief that it is instrumental for our growth to keep on sharing and in this appreciating, but at least at least a tolerating different points of view. We have had approaching 70 interviews now and over what will be coming up to a two-year period. I've enjoyed it immensely. I suppose it's enriched my yoga practice and journey more than even Asan did. I'm pleased to have the opportunity to keep sharing these conversations with you and I, I hope you, they resonate with you too and don't hesitate to get in touch if they do. Equally, you can review us on iTunes or if you wish, you can contribute to the cost of running the podcast over at Kino Yoga forward slash yoga hyphen podcast. Today's guest is Russell Altis Case. I met Russell years ago at Richard Freeman Workshop in London, UK, where it is a joke between us now that he wasn't that friendly to me. <laughs> Nevertheless, I was duly impressed by him, not only by his practice, but something about him, something about his sense of bearing, his intensity of presence. So I kept abreast of his movements over the years. And as he taught in Brighton, UK, and moved to Taiwan, and then finally Stanford University in San Francisco. Russell is one of the semi-old old batch, old-time teachers, dating back to a direct period of study with Batabi Joyce, after completing an apprenticeship with Guy Donahay in New York, as well as spending periods of time with many other notable teachers, such as Richard Freeman, Maggie Joyce, amongst others. He now lives in Calgary, married to Harmony Slater, a two-time guest on our podcast and colleague of ours. And I often think of Russell as one person who is more, more out there than myself. To this point, I have a great deal of admiration for him, really. His utter honesty and his ability to think originally and clearly is quite outstanding. So I shall leave you to discover the con- conversation we, occur- we, 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 uh, we had together that occurred. And although we did not cover all the subjects I might have liked, I really feel it gives you a good introduction to who Russell is. And if yoga is about self-awareness, Russell is one of the greatest practitioners I know, even if he's not able to do the advanced asana he was once known for due to an early onset of arthritis. For me, Russell is outstanding as one of the figures in our yoga community, and I'm really pleased to be talking to him today. So welcome, Russell, to the Kino Yoga Podcast. So welcome, Russell, to the Keenan Yoga Podcast. Thanks for finally agreeing to come on. <laughs> why? Why well, didn't protest today? No, like, true. Right away, <laughs> I joined up. True enough. True enough. No, I just hadn't asked before to be patently honest, but um, you know, which is funny because as I mentioned to you before, I, I, one of the I see one of the only podcasts I probably ever listened to the whole way through was that one you did with Peg years ago. Um, oh yeah, on the uh, Stenger Dispatch, and you talk about. I remember uh, the, the scene. I talked to you about about this on the podcast when you were talking about hiking up them. You lived at the top of this uh, mountain in South Korea, and you had to, or was that where the school was? And you had to hike up and down every day, and you were you were kind of reading Zen, and it, was, it all sounded very very romantic. Yeah, that that was um, that was one of the the periods of my life that accidentally became the most spiritual, spiritually evolving. Um, I had gone there after school with no real clear idea of how I was going to pay off, you know, a hundred grand in student loans and how I was going to work and, and feed myself. And, and there were a lot of 
Korean girls at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago because it was it was something like if you're in a wealthy family and you're a younger girl, you can do whatever the fuck you want. And so Korean girls like all go to art school and they went to Chicago in, in, by the, in their masses. And I, I got to know a few of them and, and I did a short film with a, a young woman who um, I got on with and I uh, was intrigued by her melancholy. It seemed like the whole fabric and shape of the, of the Korean subculture in Chicago was, was shaped by melancholy. And I thought, this is, this is an interesting group. This is fun. And at the same time, I'd been hearing from folks who would go overseas to, to teach English that, you know, the girls would throw themselves at you. I was like, oh, that's nice. I'd <laughs> like to, right. I'll love a bit of that. That yeah. sounds, <laughs> I'll sign <laughs> yeah. up for that. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I've, from what I understand, honestly, it might have been, been easier to get a girlfriend going to, to Japan than it was to Korea at that stage in 1997. Um, as it was when I got there... I, um, they weren't really up for it. And, uh, it was a, it was a year of my life that was in, in celibacy. And that's part of maybe the spiritual evolution of the place. Listen, this is slightly, it's light off piece, but it's a, it's a great, I think it's a great introduction to you, Russell. Um, <laughs> mm, well, well, so what happened when I was there also, just to, just to put a nail in it, was that, there was the Asian financial crisis. And so I was fired from my job about a, uh, a month into it. And some kind of aviation uh, flu as well, if you can still call it that. Something, yeah, something. it was. Yeah. You can still call it that. That's yeah. exactly what it was. The Asian yeah. flu in 1998. And so then um, I was uh, 40,000 Canadians were teaching in Korea that year and they all left. And so suddenly I was on my own and in Korea by myself in a place that didn't really like um, um, horse-faced Americans and didn't like speaking English and didn't have a lot of English literature to read, didn't have the internet and didn't have, like I had a newspaper that I could finish in about, you know, 14 minutes. And I had a, a I didn't actually have a book on Zen. I had a, I had Proust. Okay. So I had the, I had the remembrance of things past like and it so gets, I it gets read, <laughs> yeah, I read that. That's what I had to read the entire year as I just read Proust. I, 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 yeah, I mean, retrospectively, knowing a little bit more about you now, I kind of think that that might have been a, a bit of a recipe for disaster or, or enlightenment, really. You, you, a, 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 a landscape like a kind of a Korean la solitary landscape in Proust. That's right. And so then what... What happened is that I would just go mountaineering every day, hiking, dunsan, you know, when you go m hiking up the mountain. And I'd go to work and then I'd go up the mountain again because there was nothing to fucking do after you read 10 pages of Proust. And I'd go up, I'd go up the mountain and something really phenomenal happened to me. And there's a, there's a Zen saying, actually, that if you ever talk about kind of any kind of spiritual awakening that... You should be you should be punched in the face because um, <laughs> it's really the exact opposite of the experience to talk about it. So I was at this um, I was at this temple just up um, up the mountain from where I was, and it was a Buddhist temple. It was a thousand Buddha temple, and it really was a there was a number of Buddhas in the in the temple. And I was looking around, and that day I had just done my Shtanga yoga practice in the morning, 
and it was shit. And then it was sweaty, but it was still shit. I was just really grumpy and I never liked doing it in the first place. And this is 1998, <laughs> it was annoying. And it was just, usually I would feel better after I did it. But this time I just still was like this, everything is not the way that I like it. I don't like anything. And I walked up to the temple and the temple was, was annoying me. I was irritated. And I looked around and I saw this woman prostrating herself to the temple and in my very cynical, irritated, sullen, sulky self, which the people in my family know well, um, I, I just said, oh, fuck her. Like, that's not where the fucking Buddha is. And then something really kind of weird happened. And it was like... Um, like a moment where the wind just r rushes through a, a valley and it kind of took over me. And, and I remember feeling like, oh, the Buddha's in all things. And everywhere that I looked, I saw the clouds and I saw my own blood and water in the clouds. And I looked at the stones and I saw my own skull and skeleton in the stones and i and i went into a profoundly non-reactive space and i and it was a little it was a, in memory it was a little bit like being on acid where your eyes are a bit dilated and your everything's a bit washed out and and pastel and i thought oh here we go and I walked up the mountain a bit and I sat down and I saw a, a mosquito land on me. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, that's nice. He's getting something to eat. That's nice. And how lovely that is. And then I walked up the mountain again and was just wandering around. And I saw a bunch of Koreans at the top of the mountain doing their exercises because they have... Um, gym equipment at the top of the mountain okay. so that the Korean men can work out, you know. And I thought, this is really lovely, these men up here, really working hard. And I just really felt the their connection to them. And, and I looked around and I said, this is probably going to stop when I get to the bottom of the mountain. This will all be done. And I walked back down, back down. It was about two or three hours later. And it did sort of fade. Um, but it was a kind of sensation where I, it, I realized that if I wasn't um, desperate to entertain myself, I could get back to. Right. And it was uh, whenever I'm bored or whenever I'm sitting, wherever I'm waiting, I can just sort of feel the edge of that sensation in a light sort of superficial way and remember it. I'm like, this is nice. Yeah, I can just sit here and just be with things. I, I don't have to I mean, just entertain to, myself. To try and round or, or kind of understand that further, maybe. Well, apart from the fact that you, you're very funny generally, and I think if you weren't, if you weren't teaching Ashtanga, you should have been a comedian. Did you ever think of that? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, you, I do. you should be. Um, but on the other hand, I think the wish for transcendence, to make a serious point out of it, I think our wish for transcendence often gets in the way of imminence of, of which is what which is what essentially what we want you know to be imminent you know imminent in ourselves connected and 
I once had a, this uh, Tibetan teacher who said, but he, I mean, it was a, the Karma Kaju tradition, right? And it's a, that's a more a kind of esoteric, you, you know, you get a kind of touch for the master, right? And, um, you know, he'd been, you know, he's a Tibetan and he'd been with this master a long time. And when he finally kind of got this initiation, he, he had this experience. He said he would have, he, he would have punched his master in the face had he not, he, had he not kind of felt that kind of sense of oneness, right? Right. Kind of, because it is deflating in a way. You look, you're aiming for something very high, but then you just get, a kind of experience as you're describing, right? Sitting there and there's a kind of suchness, right? Just like yes. you, you experience a, when you say you're drinking your coffee in the morning and everything is just as it is. And, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, for both of us, you know, it sounds like from your background as well, that hasn't always been the experience. So well, it's, quite yeah, a rel- it's quite a relief when that comes. So, um, yeah. yeah. I, I, would, I would think about it like when you're, when you're driving in the car, and you feel a little disconnected or you're at a, you could be in any situation, a party or with friends, you feel a little disconnected and you have, um, you have this suggestion, you have this sense that, well, maybe I should, you know, if I'm not connected, maybe I should turn the music up, you know, maybe I should, uh, for more stimulation. Yeah. More, you know, something. Yeah. I need more stimulation because I don't feel enough or anything. Yeah, take some coke, mm. you know, uh, do some acid, do do something to make myself feel more connected to my environment. And I often I often do that. It's like, oh, I need to, this is ACDC. I'm going to fucking turn this up. I'm going to get back in black and really get into this. But, but sometimes I realize that, you know, I remember that place. And it's like, oh, I can just turn the fucking radio off as well. That's nice. It's often much nicer. Tell, tell us about your experience, kind of a little bit about your experience growing up maybe, and then how, how you came into starting yoga, because that's kind of interesting. Uh, my, um, my parents were, in, uh, were on a motorcycle trip in, the, in Spain, and my, my dad saw some, um, saw some poppies on the side of the, on the road, and he, they stopped and they camped, and my dad knew how to cut poppies to make opium out of it and he did that and they cut that up and made and smoked it and then i was conceived shortly after <laughs> right okay and that was the start i thought for, for a minute i thought you said puppy. i thought you said puppies there so i was like a little, uh, a little bit concerned from you yeah. it was a field yeah. of puppies and my dad murdered all of them Lassie, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, understood. Just in time, right? Okay, so yeah. uh, right. and then, then shortly after that, they were arrested for dealing cocaine and marijuana, and my dad went to federal prison, and um, my mom copped a plea, and she turned state's evidence against the Detroit mob, the Zarelli family. Well, this was oh, right. So they were back in the U.S. at that time, and, and yeah, and, and well, I was six. I was six months at that right. point. Okay, and mm. um, high as a fucking kite on cocaine most of the time, because uh, my mom was still breastfeeding. You know, right, right. And okay. um, <laughs> and I would, and my dad say I would, I would twitch when when I would when I would milk, and I would, I would. He would. It's like I think he's really affected by the cocaine. You know, and, and I would twitch. <laughs> And I developed enormous um, health issues um, from that, um, and so I was chronically sick with uh, with a compromised immune system. You know, not like a real disease, but I was constantly uh, 
pleurisy and uh, pneumonia, bronchitis. I, I lost my hearing. Um, very, very nearly, nearly died one day when I, I suffocated from, from pleurisy and had to be taken to the hospital and my lungs removed. They'd never seen, the doctor had dismissed me. I think I was six years old. My, 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 the doctor dismissed me from the hospital. It's like, there's nothing wrong with them. We can't hear anything. And that was because they had never seen lungs that filled with fluid before that there was no sound in them. Right, right. Mm, so, mm. Um, also there was an, a lot of violence in the house and between my parents and, um, you know, the police would come and, uh, and they would throw things at each other. My mother has a violent temper at the, the, at the best of times. Um, and my dad would give as, as much as he got. And uh, so I was very fearful, very fearful. And I, I remember from that point in my youth that my, the place I felt the most comfortable, the most at home, if, if, if I was um, kind of locked in a box. <laughs> right. And so I had, a to- I had a toy chest that I really loved that my dad had made. And I would spend most of my time inside of it with my little, um, with my dolls and toys and, and pillows. And um, sometimes my mom would be wandering around the house cleaning, looking, and she'd look for me and she'd find me in the closet, which is one of my favorite jokes that I was, I was in the closet most of my <laughs> youth. Uh, I, I think, it, I mean, just as an aside, it, it's so, it's, it's so strange and, and surprising to hear you talk like this because, I mean, when I've met you, when I've seen you, you know, as a, you know, as one of the Ashtanga teachers, obviously one doesn't come across that way. You know, you came across as a shining example of health and ability and, you know, way up within the kind of Ashtanga teachers' popularity stakes, right? I mean, what was that journey like from that point? And, and did you, I mean, obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain and, 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 uh, history there, uh, did, the, did the yoga really help it or, or were you able to just hide behind it for a number of years? I mean, that's the, uh, I'm just talking about my own experience there, I suppose. Sure, please. I would, I would say that what it was like for me was, in, and also we were moving every six months, every year, we'd move to a new town because um, my mom would be looking for work and we, she was single. So, what it was like for me was feeling like there was um, a choker on my neck that wouldn't allow me to speak. And the, what that it was wrapped up with fear and trauma and um, not being able to tell anyone about this horrible secret, this, you know, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And did you, did you literally not speak? Because I remember yeah. reading that you were, you said in your first yoga classes in Chicago that you, you just were kind of mute to this guy. Yes. Whatever his name was, Sukha or... or Suda, uh, yeah. Suda, yeah. Three yeah. years. Yeah. Three years, I never... You didn't speak to I never, him. I never spoke. I mean, I got his name. Right. So you really, you really were very quiet. Like, yeah, I never... Yeah. And it would, take an, it would take a lot for me to talk about anything personal. And I, I would talk about art and i would talk about um uh structure and how i felt things were put together politically or socially and i could and i would talk about that but if if it went if it went to the personal then 
I didn't know what to say it. I didn't know how to say it. I didn't know how to express desire for to have my needs met. Mm. I couldn't until, um, and I, I started doing yoga uh, principally because I was having panic attacks and really yeah. quite extreme mm. panic attacks. Yeah, and, me too. Mm -hmm. and, and taking a lot of acid and having really horrible, horrific um, reactions to to that because you really shouldn't take that child and give them LSD, which is yeah. But it was, I mean, I never realized that. I mean, I, I I know you talked on that podcast that I mentioned at the start about having had a difficult acid trip that, that yeah. created a lot of, but I don't think you'd mentioned at that time that you previous to that had a hell of a lot of uh, uh, trauma in your background previous to that. Is, is that something that you, you've become more candid about as you've gone on in life, do you think? Or? Sure. And, and being able to speak was, was all key to that. Absolutely. And I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it always helps. One, yeah. Yeah. one, one thing that that really truly I think the yoga was helping me at a at a base fear as a sixteen year old it was really helping me with base fear, just being able to sleep at night mm -hmm. and doing and learning pranayama to do retentions to be able to calm myself um and to manage this you know I think outwardly I was quite a I was quite calm and a, a stable looking child, but inside I was roiled with panic and fear. And then one day, um, my brother who loves giving me drugs and weird substances to sort of experiment with, he gave me um, MDMA, he gave me ecstasy. I was, you know, I was really nervous about that as well, just like all the other things I'd taken, but um this was um, the first time in my life I'd ever felt comfortable talking about my needs. Right. And it was a, it was a profound, profoundly spiritual experience. Uh, for example, uh, in the rave community in Chicago, which is quite a big deal in the States, quite a bit like Manchester in, in the UK. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were we were with a really beautiful crowd of lovely people. Um, I was um, I was playing around a lot, you know, flirting with with the the gay boys, and I was really kind of enjoying that attention. And I've I've I would often find myself post rave at like eight o'clock in the morning, having not slept all night, kind of in a hammock with a a nice boy cuddling, and being able to say to him that I just felt really profoundly comfortable just doing this because any kind of intimacy with a girl kind of freaked me out. And, and I, it was really very difficult for me to handle, but being able to say to, the, to a nice boy, like, I really just like to cuddle. This is nice. I don't want to have, I don't, but I don't want to have sex with you. And being able to say that for that young man who was so inoperable to be able to ask, speak that kind of truth was a profound transformation for me. And that evolved from there, being able to speak about anything that had happened to me, honestly, and to say this, well, yeah, my, my parents were cocaine addicts and that's, and I was a Coke baby and I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of it. 
I don't want to embarrass them. So I don't want to talk about it, you know, in a, in a way that's going to embarrass them at any point. And most of these yoga podcasts aren't going to hurt them professionally. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, being able to talk, talk about these things allowed me to evolve to a place where I could have some emotional intelligence about anything that was happening to me in my life and be able to not hold on to it as a story and and be triggered by um, any kind of perceived attack on my on my dignity or um, self or security you know I could I could just it it helped me so much to be able to to look at these emotions as objects and talk about them. And I never did ecstasy again after that period of my life. I did it like six, seven times. That was it. And I was like, I've, I feel like I've completely learned this. This is inside me now and I don't need it at all. I don't think, I mean, the, the experience really eloquently put your finger on with the, with, with the, uh, the nice boy in the hammock. I, I, I think that, that feels... Like a like it's probably more common than I mean I I resonate with that you know I think it's I think you've you've painted a, a, a very relevant picture there for for probably many male listeners right and I think it I kind of feel that it was probably something in kind of Greco Roman culture that was was probably there already you know yeah I don't know you know the the comfort of um, mm, of other men and uh, yeah. yeah and not having and going straight into that relationship with women but I think. Yeah, it's touched on, on something deeper, which I have to think on more. Um, yeah, so how does yoga fit into all this picture? I mean, what did it... Um, you have this, this huge history. I mean, I'm looking at your background and you've got... You've been to study with... Uh, an apprentice with Guy in New York and uh, you're in Australia with uh, watching Mark Yao complete the seventh or eighth series or whatever he was doing then. And, you know, you, you know you've been everywhere and practiced with everyone. Um, yeah, and, and for a long bloody time as well. Like, yeah, say something about your experiences with yoga. What does it? What does it? What does it mean to you then? What does it mean to you now? Uh, what did you hope to get out of it? And what did you get out of it? Uh, let's start there. Right. Yeah. Right. So we were talking a little bit about before we started recording about these. I said I think I might have used some fancy word like bifurcated, which is a little pre- <laughs> little little pretentious. But, um, <laughs> no, I don't. I, I'm. I'm happy to go down that route with you. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like using long words as much as the next one. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so I felt like there were these, this, this bifurcated polarities in my yoga practice. There was one, there is this part of me really trying to get to grips with fear and going into an internal space where I could manage boredom and frustration of all kinds. And that's, that's a complete, that, has felt like a very different experience from yoga, almost 180 degrees different, which was really just like kind of working out. And so I'm I'm doing a workout with Suda or Guy or Richard Freeman or David Swenson, who I got to know really well in in Texas, um, or John Scott in Penzance, um, or or Manju in, in Australia. Like there was... Having profound, um, let's say, let me use a different word, having um, really um, very impressionable experiences with these great teachers all over the world, and then spending years of my life in Mysore with uh, Tabi Joyce and Sharat, um, 
it was really, there was a piece of me there that was about working out and getting, getting all of these syst- muscular systems to interconnect so that I could lift and I could breathe and I could, I could, and I could um, pull myself in all sorts of different directions and pull my legs up into Kandapidasana and, you know, so, but where the two, like a Venn diagram, where the, where the one person who's looking for status in yoga and the other person who's looking to manage his fear in a kind of internal meditative space, where, the, where they met um, is, on, is when the body would experience long-held fear. That was that was held in the in the body, in the groins, in the hamstrings, in the heart area, in the throat. And I would go into a posture with Guy, say, um, or it was it was the really it was more about the hamstrings with David. I was really really freaked out. With Guy, it was all about the back bends. And I would experience these kind of fevered night sweats thinking about doing backbends in the morning and uh so was it in the posture itself or, or the kind of anticipatory i mean you said you were waking up every every hour thinking about kapitasa which is that's right it's really kind of distressing that, that one would take on such a practice and, and kind of do that to oneself but did it did it help did, did it, it, did, it, getting it, it did. did it out in a visceral way did it did it kind of pass through do you feel absolutely it did it was it was Yoga, if someone had said to me that I should do yoga, I should do therapy for this for this kid who was suffering, um, this is the best therapy I could have done. It was immersion therapy into fear-holding places in my body. And so going into these postures was just in a safe, careful, guided way with these with these great humans, Nancy Gilgoff or who I love, or mm. or Batabi Joyce himself tried to put me in Kapatasana one day. Um, going into these places and trusting them and 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 surrendering to the sensation of panic that I was in. And then going into it, holding it breathing, this is where the two things became unified. The two parts of me became unified. Like this is what the practice was, is immersing yourself in a really scary place, breathing, being safe, coming out of it, and then moving forward. And then I could become, I I think I became a much more centered person for that, where I could endure fearful places. Um, did that did that dovetail with your with your uh, sense of search for status and you know becoming a teacher, or did that did that mitigate it, or did the two go on kind of in tandem, but in 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 kind of polarity to each other? That's such a great question. Well, I, because it, I, mean, you know, um, I mean, you talk a lot about Mysore being a, a kind of you know a clique and or various cliques, and you know, and I mean, you also talk a lot about when. You know, like the younger kids like me getting posture so quickly and, and the older guys looking askance at, you know, kids like you kind of, you know, 
getting Karun Devasana from Saraswati too early and, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know one, one hears all this discussion, you think, well, what the fuck are we doing there? I mean, you know, when you're doing, you're talking so deeply, as you just did, and then there's this, all this, this whole other kind of narrative going on in the background. Is it related at all or is it just, is it just silly stuff getting in the way or, you know, what, what do you reckon? Yeah. So... <laughs> it's it's all really very much a part of the fabric of human experience is to be in in your middle school uh of of people whispering about each other constantly. I mean that's human that's human life is people just talking shit about each other all the time and people getting status and people being jealous of each other's status. That's happening in the White House. It's happening in a in a fourth grade middle sc- fifth grade middle school in Idaho. It's happening in Mysore. It's in Parliament. Every single place on earth is suffering. Um, people talking sh- ta- talking shit about each other is is it's that's politics. And so this is happening in Mysore that people are talking about each other. People are talking about who is who is more more spiritually enlightened than the next person mm. and but the the amazing thing is is that it's also kind of really happening there where you are developing spiritually and then you are getting status for your ability to to uh go a little bit deeper and be a little bit more of a of a more broad and glacial thinker and people are attracted to you sexually for that. <laughs> and at parties or like around the coconut stand, people kind of will surround a really interesting, quirky dude, you know? And, but I would say that only, I would say much more recently have I, I think evolved to a space where my my addiction to status has um for the physical postures has kind of worn off mm. i don't well, know I- if evolution is the right word for that but i think being broken and really not and being middle aged and not really being able to do it very well was it was I mean, really yeah i mean you have i i've heard you talk about it already and, uh, with your i mean you've got a an arthritic condition right yeah, and it's really helped me. Has it? Like that's really helped. Was it hard at the start? I mean, I never. I always wondered because I have. I've also had a. I don't know, do you ever? Did you hear that Jung? I, I mentioned this a number of times. Jung always says that like, kind of for the male uh, kind of midlife crisis or Saturn return happens around thirty-eight. Do you, have you heard oh, that? Yeah. I've right, heard so, of those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you know, for me, it really was at a period at that juncture. I really it was thirty-eight, and suddenly something shifted in my body, and I was not longer able to perform you know in the postures the, the way that i could and it ultimately really helped but primarily it was a it was a huge um a huge suffering so i so i would say that um part of why i have an arthritic condition now is that the roots the the roots of it were established early on you know in in and just how you know, some people have uh, are backbenders. Some people are are uh, forward benders. Some people are symmetrical. 
and some people are asymmetrical. And I was very much asymmetrical. I was very right-handed, right-centric. Um, I crossed my legs when I sat. I slumped one shoulder when I when I when I would stand. You know, everything was was off. And so, as the as yoga progressed, um, the the patterns of of um, oh Christ, what's that called when when you um, when your spine is is uh, scoliosis? Scoliosis, yeah. the the scoliosis The scoliosis was always there, and the but so was the so was the ambition, and so the ambition was so great, and my peers were so fucking amazing. So harmony and and uh, Luke Jordan and yourself and Mark Yao and and Olaf were so incredibly good so otherworldly good and my ambition was to be as good or better or at least you know get my certification at the same time as them you know at least and um so if i had been honest with myself and how how the condition of my spine and how, what it was actually able to do i wouldn't have worked as as hard as I did, and I probably uh, built up inflammation in my body because I was working much further than my ability would allow. And so, like doing third series, when you really probably primary and part of th second is enough, um, and then trying to you know do all of third series every day, you know, as when I was in my early thirties, I probably I really shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> oh, were you in pain at the time? Did you know that it was a bad idea? I absolutely was in pain at the time. I was okay. in constant pain, and then, and then I was also, I, I was also doing so much work to prepare myself. So I was working for hours and hours to prepare myself for a yoga practice, and then you, then you end up doing a seven-hour yoga practice, and it's way, way too much. It's just crazy, isn't it? But I was going to say, how did that inform your teaching then, if? You're feeling like this about the system. You're doing all this prep work, and you're also in pain, and and you're teaching. And and what what were you like as a teacher then? How did well, you feel about teaching something that was causing you pain? Well, there was when I first started with Guy. When I first started teaching, Guy would would have to harass me every couple of minutes. It's like Russell, too much. Russell, too much. You're you're trying you're trying too hard to put these people in a place that you think they belong in, as an ego trip. You want the, you want to show everyone how far you can get this person, and it's obvious. That changed after I went to Mysore. That had an effect on my teaching, and it was improved. And every when I came back, many people would say is like, you've actually really changed as a teacher. You're much more in the moment, much more present as a teacher in what this person can do now. And so, that became a kind of, another kind of spiritual practice where you, you're working with the body and listening as intently as you can to what this person will allow you to do with them and, and what their body will allow you to do. And, and so that was a kind of 
inner inter that was an inner space that was quite unified as well where just wandering around the yoga room listening to bodies was an incredibly internal space for me and not as wrapped up in um and an ego as in other places though um I would all I would certainly get bent out of shape if someone dismissed me out of hand. Like that that was a trigger. <laughs> and how how well, as a student dismissing you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. How, how would they do that? Um my teacher said to do this. Oh you know, right, okay. Yeah, yeah that, is, that can be frustrating. I would have loved to have practiced with you. We would have had a ball. Um, I feel we, we would have we, and probably ended up in a fist fight after the first yeah. 15 minutes, probably. Uh, <laughs> England was a, was per capita where I threw the most students out of my yoga room. I did hear that of you, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I was I was violently angry and frustrated with with po- with the folks there. And so what, uh, so what was your aim in, in the teaching then? I mean, because I mean, you'd be really honest and said that there was a lot of ambition for you. You know, there's a lot of pain. You're going through all this stuff and coming up in your body and the fears. But then when you're talking about the way you're talking about teaching students, it, it seems it, you feel differently, right? It brings out another another aspect in you. We're certainly, and again, I'm talking for myself. You could also, you could have a feeling towards oneself, but I've always, however ambivalent I felt towards my, my own self-care, somehow that's come out for another person very well. Mm. you know yeah like i'm taking care of myself but i can't take care of myself but i can give it out yeah yeah that's interesting it's like uh the 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 sick person becomes a healer in that way in a kind of profound way uh I, i certainly as a teacher i was interested in 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 ambition and status for my reputation at the same time that I was in the room, um, it was it was um, really kind of a very lovely internal space, uh, which again was you know something like what was happening with yoga for me, where I was having lovely, lovely internal <laughs> residences where the, the the seer was residing in his, in, in itself. At the same time that I was desperate for attention in all aspects of my life and. And that, you know, of course, that didn't go over very well in my first marriage. That that was um, a constant refrain and frustration right. and complaint when I was living in England. Right. Mm. And you feel like now you said that after this, this inability now to perform physically as you did and getting older, right? I mean, you're 45 or 46 now? Yeah, 46. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, have you reconciled to that at all? And has the yoga been part of that? Or has it, has it gotten in the way at all? Can you say anything about that? I think it. I think it has to have because it's it's so much a part of you know my daily experience for going on. It's thirty years now, right? Something like that. And you're still you're still practicing. You're, yeah, you're, you're not right. Okay. Yeah, I do what I can in mm. there, and I um, I can't do much, but it, but what I'm what I'm enjoying now is is being able to sit in a social space and not make it all about me. That's really nice. That's a, that's a, that's a relief. 
and it's something that uh, it reminded me of um, early on when I was uh, living at Randy um, Randy's house in in Mysore. And Randy was this old wise man from Virginia. He was probably like forty seven. <laughs> he was this <laughs> yeah. old wise man in in Mysore in Gokulam, and he was just. He was really interested in affectionate and teaching and mentoring young men like myself or Mark Yao, for that matter. And he said, one of the best things that you can learn, one of the most crucial things that you can learn in that room with Shara and Guruji is that you are not important in there. You, you're not the most important person in there and you're really not that important. And that would really help me if I could have taken that home then, because I was desperate to perform at a superior level then. But if I, if I could take this attitude back there, then I could have had a really nice, nice time instead of a kind of wretched, tortured time. In my story. In my story, yeah. Right, so you, you didn't have, I mean, because often people kind of, Talk about it with these kind of nostalgic terms. You didn't have a good time there. Oh, I was, um, I was fucking obsessed with getting new postures. It's fucking obsessed with it. There's nothing. There's, that's that's a torture. That's that's it's to be to be to sit there and to, to have um, created for yourself a a. a um, a situation where you've artificially manufactured a thing that you want and then to hang it in front of your own eyes, it's torture. I spent years in that room, every single minute of it, wanting to get the next posture with, with zero self-absorption uh, <laughs> or, or so what, flow. Uh, right. you know, <laughs> that's so what fucking you horrible. You were doing what, yeah, what did you think you were doing at that point? I mean... I did you, you didn't have any kind of like any kind of self-consciousness with it. I I was very much aware that I, I was there hoping that this would be the day I would get the next posture. Right. And that each posture that I did, I was performing to my fucking utmost so that I could attract attention for my ability and then get the next posture. It's it's hell. That's a hellish place to to be. It's like it's like Dante's you know, eighth circle of hell, you know, to be in a place like that. It's horrible. It's, somehow you feel more reconciled now through having had this ability be taken, you know, this, this possibility being taken away from you in a way. Yeah, it's a relief, right? right that's again, right, that's another right. relief that I, I, I'm not going to get certified. I'm, I'm, at some point, I have to think about whether or not I'm going to be. I'm still going to be recognized as a painter. <laughs> I'm not right. sure. I'm I'm ready to give that up yet, which would also be right. a relief, you know. So I, mean, but, I was going to say, what are, you, what are you doing there? Are you are you you're not really teaching yoga much now, right? Uh, no, no, I don't teach much yoga. Harmony um, really went after it and went after an online presence, and I I didn't. Um, I had another gig, you know, to make money, and so I didn't really need an online presence to make to make money. Um, what I, what we really enjoy is when she invites me as her assistant, and 
and I can be her little assistant yeah. in the room. And we adore that space together, just in the same way that we adore sharing the podcast together. It's, it's incredibly intimate and loving. Yeah. Yeah, for us. No, it, come, it, it comes across that way. It really does. Um, and you, you, I mean, I, I also know you're a painter and you went to art school. And, um, and so, and you're, I, but I don't think you're doing that kind of for, like for work, right? That's a, or you're, no, making, money, you're making money elsewhere and, and the painting is still something you're pursuing on the side of that. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm surrounded by every fucking corner of my house with a painting that it remains unsold to the listening audience. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> anyway, they're up for auction. Uh, right. I've yeah. seen some of the works; they're they're, they're fantastic. And so you, you are still you are still painting every day. Yeah, I do. It's um, what I say to Harmony is like, um, I I'm um, for my own mental health, I need to go in there, and if I don't in there, I start to get a little down. Right. And uh, so I, I go in there and I listen to my modal jazz records and paint and and you know put put little things in front of other things and make space and I just get to like rub this material onto this this knobby little surface and it's 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 lovely it's like being a little four year old finger painting. Well, if you can do it well, as you can, absolutely. <laughs> on a scene, seeing some of the stuff you can do, yeah, I don't think I'd have the same experience. But on a serious note, is that, how is that different to yoga in Not your so. mind, right? Because, I mean, people make a synth synthesis. Oh, it's all the same thing. Is it the same thing? It's, it's absolutely the same mental space where you're right. in a, you've established a flow and you're, you're no longer aware of time which is, or the self. And so that's samadhi. And so you, you go in there to, to experience that sense of flow and space and you, you concentrate on a single point. There's a multiplicity of points. So you're in the samyana and then there's a flow of time and it's like, oh, fuck, my, my hour's up. I have, to, I have to go back. I was just getting into that. That's <laughs> a shame, mm, you know? Mm, mm. And... And then it's all just sort of beautiful light and color. And you th I think about it conceptually around those periods. So I think about what kind of work I want to be making and, and what I want it to do or say and little ideas percolate and come to me. And it's like, this would be a nice, this would be interesting if this was next to that thing. And then I go in there and I get to experience flow which is what the yoga is for, what meditation is for, is to, is to teach you um, how to do flow. And then you practice it every day. So you, you're able to, 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 to hit that little spot, right, that I experienced in Korea. You're looking to, to, to keep that as a part of your life. And then when the next, very next time you get triggered by some you know, shirty thing that your child has said to you. It's like, hmm, what does this actually mean? What's actually happening here? This child probably just wants my attention. He doesn't actually want a fucking beating, but let's see. <laughs> <laughs> you should have been a comedian. Uh, many people, I think, agree. Um, I, it's not a really good segue, but I'm, I'm thinking about 
teachers and, and, and your own sense of masculinity and having had a few stepfathers as well. And how, how, how did you, you know, how, how have you related to your teachers? And do you think the role of a teacher is essential? Because you seem a quite a self-willed uh, and, and particular individual as well. Like how, how, you know, has it been necessary? I mean, would you like to speak about the influence of Patabi Joyce and, and Sharat on your, on your life and your yoga? And yeah. Yeah, I would say that I was, um, for obvious reasons, deeply in, interested in male uh, attention. Mm, mm, I yeah. wanted their respect. I wanted to be respected by uh, paternal figures that I encountered in my life. And like, I... I I was desperate for it and did every and worked a little and worked too hard at it and that can be off putting. But so all of these men that I met, whether it was David Swenson or Richard Freeman, um, or um, my professional mentor uh, Gene Ruffin, uh, in, in business life, who was as much a Buddha as anywhere I've encountered, um, wherever and Patabi Joyce himself. I I was invested in their approval and sought that out and did whatever it did what they told me to do to get that approval or my painting teacher Leonard Anderson I wanted that approval there uh Dan Gustin in Chicago I wanted I wanted approval from them because I was so insecure Adam and, and so um again that was the kind of person that English people encountered that was off putting throughout the whole of my marriage. And so <clears throat> it was very important because so often what they would do was modulate my desire for approval and refocus it towards practice. Right. Which is mm -hmm. really helpful. Uh, and so when I went into to Mysore and to Gokulam, I, I like a drug, uh, a, a literal being shot up with cocaine where dopamine is flooding your system every time you get attention. Every time Guruji said something nice to me, it was uh, a fix. It was a head rush uh, to my ego. And I was desperate for it. And I think, not to shit on my, my best friends, but I think we were all in that space at that time where we would talk excitedly for hours about any kind of conversation or interaction that we had had with Patabi Joyce and then subsequently Sharat. It was like, Sharat said this to me. It was like, ooh. And that became the whole story of the morning. Right. Because mm -hmm. we were interested in that uh, self-regard where when you take a little bit of cocaine and then you feel... Um, a sense of of self worth, very much the same, and does the same mm. thing to physically to the brain. So you weren't looking at them looking at them as a kind of vessel of knowledge as much as just somehow playing out some some sense of validation. Yes, yeah, and then and then luckily they had some knowledge to give. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. That was a the amazing byproduct of this entire yoga journey which was seeking status in every shape or, or form, the, the, the sneakily, it helped me evolve uh, what, as a human being, which was- uh, what was that? What was that knowledge? 
Because I think I think it's, it's a very interesting conversation we're having here. I will obviously have to, have to say that, but you know, because there is so much of this around yoga generally, whether it's Ashtanga or Vinyasa or whatever you're doing in the yoga studio, right? It all comes back into play yet again. This whole sense of you know looking for approval and the, the demonstrative validation of that in the in whether now it's in the clothing as well, isn't it? It's in the clothing, it's in the studio, it's in the you know every aspect of it. It, it, it you know it creeps back in again. But what was the knowledge at the at the, at the heart of it that you, that you were still able to kind of grasp and e extricate from this whole seething mess of the same old stuff that's been brought back into yoga? That all other consciousness is yours, and their pain is your pain, and you should love love them so deeply and hold on to them so tightly because that's really you that you're loving. And if, and if you're desperately ambitious to outshine them, then you're not really doing yourself a service. Yeah, I also suppose I wanted to add in, uh, early when you said that Randy said to you, you're not the most important person in the room. I'll tell you what, you know, yes and no, you are, right? To you, and you ought to be, and you should be, and you are the most important person in that room. Your consciousness is the only consciousness you can know. It's the only one that can be important to you. Important to another is a different thing, right? But important to yourself. Because I've had that instruction given to me often, and you kind of think, well, actually, it can be taken the wrong way. Mm. At the end of the day, really taking care of, of other people is essential to what being human is. And so to take care of other people, you also have to, you know, fill your own cup, fill your own well, you know, because you can burn yourself out doing that. But it's, it's, it's that, that real knowledge that when I'm flying off the handle at my son, that his consciousness is being hurt and it's really the, myself in him that's being hurt. And so this is the Krishna of Krishnaness, right? The tree of treeness. The, the you look at a at a another being, and you want to care for that being, that being's beingness, because that's also you. That's your being in that being. Yeah, I mean, I suppose when I say importance of your own consciousness, it's not in terms of a narcissistic way. Perhaps let's reframe it like recognizing your own consciousness stably and as such you don't therefore put an obstacle outside yourself try to validate that outside yourself so therefore you have a, tra a, a there's a transparency of contact between you and the other person you know and the immediacy of their presence in your life is is clearer than when you're constantly looking to the other person as a as a concept for your own as a prop to your own storyline mm-hmm uh, if I'm following your meaning, it's <laughs> and it's so it's so funny now to me that so often when I'm thinking about yoga, I, I'm thinking about sitting in a car with my son and my responses to being triggered, and watching the, the this is where this is seventh series. This is where uh, yoga is manifesting in my life right now the most strongly is I'm watching the play of my own ego and self-regard and dignity as my child is poking at me intentionally and teasing me and, you know, 
shitting on me in, in different ways and trying to get a rise out of me because he loves it when I tickle him, but not realizing that, you know, it can cause a lot of real pain to my, to, to Russell's ego. And so Russell then has to observe that, watch it, and see where the heart of the, of the, of Jediah is and see where, what's at the heart of his poke, which is an interest in his own self-regard, an interest in his own uh, confidence and, and place in the world. And, the, and you start to just watch the dances of these two egos at play with each other. Yeah, I think if, if you hadn't been so smart, you probably wouldn't maybe be in so much had so much suffering, but then you maybe just would, <laughs> just 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 would have gone to prison instead. Probably. No. I was kind of that's what I'm thinking when I kind of hear your kind of ability to self reflect and, and that capacity for awareness you have. I kind of think, well, that sounds like it's it's been a quite a painful process, you know. But on the other hand, if you hadn't had that, I kind of don't know what would have happened either, you know. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it's funny. It's a uh, both my parents went to prison for because they both had different aspects of my personality. And it's, I can see how it got there. I can see how they ended up there. Um, the, 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 the narcissistic need for attention, the self-indulgence on the other side for sensation. And yeah, they both ended up in um, taking that too far and ended up in prison. So like, it's, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I can see it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I feel an incredible amount of resonance with you, actually. And, um, I, yeah, I, I hope that something came through in this conversation. It's not <laughs> – I don't feel like we haven't got to the nub of it, really. But, you know, we said something, and I feel it gives a, you know, a sense of you. I mean, where, where, you know, what are you, where are you going now? And where do you think yoga is going now or with the painting or, you know, kind of like emotionally or, you know, even for – material aims what are your plans i um i want to pay off my mortgage i'm really i'm really very interested in that uh i'm i have this image in my mind that i i i saw as a youth of picasso as a 45 year old and he had lost the the flower of his youth he had developed a comb over and his career was maybe um you know he was he was big he was important but he was also kind of uh, you know going through his third marriage and kind of um kind of a desperate middle-aged man and he evolved from that into this incredibly interesting and beautiful elderly man in his 80s and 90s just constantly at play with his own career and his own ideas and that that <clears throat> that flower continued to evolve into such a in a beautiful um beautiful pattern and so i feel like that's a bit where i'm at right now i'm kind of looking at myself and it's all a bit pathetic and that's an interesting space to be because that grows into something else. You know, I'm like looking at my own bald spot, my paunch, my sagging jowls, um, the breakdown of things that are really important to me, like not, not having ever developed a painting career, uh, the, the, 
the yoga uh, practice uh, having dis- fallen apart, what am I doing? I work for my mom um, because she needs help in, in her business, but that's that's not what I ever thought that I would end up doing. And so what this seems like a very interesting kind of pause in one's life, like the when you pull back the string of a of a bow and the arrow sits there, and here I am, a kind of um, broken, sad, middle aged man. What happens next? I'm, fi- you know, but it's, at the same time, I'm I'm very much in love and very happy, and that's great. And I have this wonderful son, beautiful home, and. Uh, this honestly, I mean, I, I honestly think you're, I think you're an inspiration. I mean, I, that, that, yeah, I don't know that lucidity. I mean, you've got to do something more with it. I don't know how how that's going to come out, but I mean, for me, I, I the way you talk now is much more inspiring than the guy I met many years ago. He was just a bit of an ass, really. Like he, he, he kind of, <laughs> as, you know, this kind of pretentious kind of yoga teacher, you know, with that yeah. persona, right? And, you know, and obviously it was all there, but I mean, just the, I, I made me feel the same about myself, you know, like. Mm. The, the, the level of, and I call it transparency, that, that, that wish to just be, you know, brutally honest and, uh, for, you know, and, and maybe that comes when you've lost what you'd hoped for, right? Just yeah. like I said about that, the idea that when you're, that finally, when you get whatever it is, this is, I'm not saying we're enlightened, but, you know, when, when you finally get to a place where you feel that you've understood something, is to understand that there's, what you hoped for in a progression isn't, you know, isn't there, but yet you've got something much greater that's come through anyway. Having taken that kind of wish for transcendency or, or, or domination or whatever it was <clears> that one's <throat> hoped, right? And that's yeah. gone, you know, that, 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 you know, and in the, in the seed of that disillusionment, some sense of directness and experiencing comes through, which, uh, and, and in that, a connection, a, a connection actually with people. And with the world that maybe wasn't there before, you know. Uh, yeah, again, I, I really, I really hope that what our our greatest ambition right now could be to be really lovely and interesting seventy year old men, and to <laughs> to get there. I'm going to do a Hem- I'm, I'm planning a Hemingway personally. Yeah. Well, I six. 65 at a hunting lodge with a rifle. Yeah, um, I don't th- yeah. I don't think there I don't think you can buy guns and, and can you you could probably buy a, sh- a shotgun. <laughs> I'm sure France. I can work it out maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to do this to you because I mean, I could spend that, to be honest, I'm, we're going to have to meet in person one day. I'd love That'd to speak to you. That'd be nice. That. But, um, I would yeah, really, really like that. Come to, to come to France and do a bit of painting, you know. That'd be good. Yeah. yeah I'd yeah. like teach, it. Teach, Teach me how to use oils or something. Um, oh, you but, just um, just rub it. Rub. You have to love to rub yourself in it, man. That's just yeah. <laughs> sounds good. Mm. Well, we'll do that together. We'll do that together. Ah, at some point. Be good. We can, have a, we can yeah. have a cuddle. It'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> in a hammock. In a hammock with oils. You heard it here yeah. first. Um, but um, yeah, what? Do you, okay, so so what's it, give me a quick inspiration and and a guilty pleasure, and don't say um you're not guilty about anything. Um, oh, a guilty pleasure. Um, and I, inspires you, just to, just to wrap it up. Oh, shit. I, um, I, my guilty pleasure, oh, oh, gosh, I have discovered, this is probably the most embarrassing guilty pleasure that I have, is that I've discovered a an online gaming community 
It's called a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. Right. And so, right. It's, it's thousands of men all playing the same online game. And it, we get to fly around in little spaceships and shoot each other. And it's the loveliest group of mates that I've, that I've, it was like, there's a couple hundred of us and we're all buddies in this little village. And we go around trying to shoot up ships together. And it's so nice. And that's probably <laughs> the, the, if you really want to hear like honesty, Fantastic. that's a real guilty pleasure. Is this Honestly, I, well, I was waiting with bated, I was waiting with bated breath to you where I said, you know, what the hell are you going to say? I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I, might, have to, I might have to cut this out. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's all right, right. And what about inspiration? Something that, a person, a place, or, you know, something that inspires you. I, um, I would say that um, I, really, I really like this guy, Steph Curry. I really like him a lot. He's a basketball player from the Golden State. And he's such a lovely, lovely man who loves his teammates. He loves team ball, even though he's one of the most, the most uh, dangerous isolation players that's ever existed. But he loves the game when everyone in, in the entire team is involved. And he loves watching his own, his own teammates succeed more than, more than himself. And he works so bloody hard at being a member of his community and at his own technique and his own practice. And I think he's incredibly inspiring. And I really wish I was him. Like yeah. that would have been that would have been better, you know. But <laughs> I felt the same oh, way about man. Richard Freeman my whole life. It's like I really want to be Richard Freeman. That'd be great. Or I wanted to be Noah Williams. And then I found out that I was that I was only gonna be Russell and that was gonna have to to do. That was a little bit of a disappointment. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, in my bag, it very much does. I, you know, I, I, I feel a, I feel a bromance coming on. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm, thank you, Russell, for for coming on, and um, well, I really appreciate your your sharing. I've, I've really enjoyed this, Adam. It's really a pleasure. I really do hope we get to hang out, be mates. That'd be really nice. Mm -hmm.